Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Three, two. Hey, y'all, this is your girl, Sonia, and welcome back to She Say, She Say Sports. I have back with me today sports writer of the New Orleans Advocate, Rod Walker. Rod, thanks for joining me again. Now, thanks for having me on two weeks in a row. I feel I know. special. I- <laughs> you are special. I, um, little do you know, you may be on here with me until this is over. So um, just kind of enjoying um, talking to you about this this docuseries. It's been kind of cool. Yeah, I'm enjoying it as well. So yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. But before we get into that, thanks. Um, last night you um, told me to reach, um, come into your – Facebook Live with this violinist. He was really good. What was his name? His name is Dominique uh, Hammonds, and he's actually from Houston. Mm-hmm. And he had a video back in, I guess it was during football season. He did a video at a wedding, and he was playing the song, the, the Chopper song, Chopper style song. Mm-hmm. And it went viral. And obviously, that song is, you know, it's pretty big here in New Orleans because the state sort of used it as captain anthem after they win games and so it right. sort of took off here so the new orleans pelicans invited him to do a halftime show here and that actually happened to be the last home game before the uh, uh the covid19 stuff so mm-hmm. anyway he performed at halftime and out of all the halftime performances they've ever had that game i don't know if they've ever had one where uh, he got that sort of reaction from the crowd i mean everybody stayed in their seats to watch him and the place just went nuts and um Wow. Anyway, he just sort of starting to kind of take off a little bit, and the Pelicans had him on their uh, Instagram last night. And then he did his stuff on his own page uh, as well, like right after that. So that's what that was that I had on my Facebook page. But, yeah, he's uh, he's really talented. And his name is Dominique what? Hammonds, H-A-M-M-H-A-M-M-O-N-S, yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway, well, but he's from Houston. He's based out of Houston. Yeah, well, well, and that's pretty cool because a lot of my listeners are Houston Prairie View area, so you know that's that's really dope. He was really good. I um, I don't know if you saw what I put on there. I actually used to play violin for twelve years, and yeah, I, I was that, all yeah. city, all city, all um, state and junior high and high school, and then I had an orchestra scholarship. I was a voice major, but they gave me a partial orchestra scholarship, and I hate. When I see, you know, violinists like that, I'm like, dang, I wish I had kept playing because although I love playing classical music, I'm a hip-hop baby. So being right. able to play hip-hop and contemporary music on your violin, that, that first of all, the instrument is amazing. That's right. so awesome. And I love Damien Escobar. He's one of my favorites. I was actually going to see him before this COVID thing started. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, so we had we had violin classes growing up in Yazoo mm-hmm. City, and I didn't take them. I didn't take any band courses. Unfortunately, I sort of wish I had learned to play the drums or the tuba or something, just because I think it would have been cool to do. But uh, yeah, but the violin was sort of a big thing, even you know back then, and people were learning to play it. And I don't think any of those people actually, you know, continue playing it. But I mean, for a year or two, I mean, they all learned how to play the violin, which was 
pretty unique, I guess. Yeah, yeah, especially for, um, you know, um, I, well, not now, but back then you didn't see a lot of um, people of color playing. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Orchestra music, it was either drums, guitar, piano. Right. And yeah. so um, when they mentioned it at my I was sixth grade, and when they mentioned it at my school, I um, I was like, well, I want to play because my friends wanted to play. And then my mom went yeah. bought a $500 violin, and then they was like, oh, we're not playing. I was like, oh, mom, I don't want to play. She said, oh, you're playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I was forced to play, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I was yeah. forced because I really, truly enjoyed playing. I did. Yeah. I did. When I was, when I was going out, my, my mom bought me a guitar for one Christmas. Mm-hmm. An electric guitar. It was light blue, and this might have been a time like right after Purple Rain came out. I think I wanted one, <laughs> but all of my friends, like one of us had a drums, one had a bass guitar, uh, one had a keyboard, and we were gonna try to start this group. None of us had any music talent whatsoever, but we were gonna just try to start a group anyway. <laughs> and I never learned how to play the guitar. Like I, I bought books trying to learn. I just, I didn't get it. Like I couldn't understand it. And anyway, it was a Wasted investment because we got nothing. We got absolutely nothing out of out of the, out of our instrument. Why did did you ask your mom to buy you one or? Yeah, yeah, I wanted one for Christmas. I mean, that's what I wanted because we were. Oh. Like I said my friends and I we were gonna try to start a group. We thought we were like, I think we wanted to be like ready for the world. That's who we were sort of. Uh, did you have a curl? A, I never had a curl. Never had a curl. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, none of my friends had curls except it was like girls that had but like none of the guys that I hung out with had curls. It just I don't know why we I don't know how we avoided it, but I guess we couldn't afford it probably. Yeah. They were paying like forty dollars to get a touch up every six weeks or whatever they were calling it or what something, but no, I didn't I didn't get the curls. <laughs> well see my mom she did hair. She was a um she was a hairstylist and I begged her for a curl and she was like, No, you're not you know, she wouldn't get me one. Cause, you know Michael Jackson right. was out right, right, and I wanted a curl, but <laughs> she was like, no, right. thank you. So I'm glad she did now, but and shockingly, they're still around. I was actually getting my hair done, and the lady was getting the curl, and I'm like, this <laughs> smell smells so familiar. So familiar, yeah, yeah. And the girl was like, she's getting the curl, and I was like, you are lying to me, but it was true. Did you, did you remind her that it was 2020? No, I did not. It was an older lady. I minded my baby. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. Well, that's, that's okay then. Yeah, she, she stuck in the 80s, so I was like, I'm okay. going to let her have it. But, um, you know, um, the NFL virtual draft was last week, and you covered that. It was Thursday through Saturday. You know, give us, you know, give us some, um, you know, of course everybody knows, but who were the first-round picks and all that good stuff? Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, I think – I mean, it all starts with Joe Burrow, who, you know, he obviously played here at LSU, and he's a guy right. that, you know, people down in Louisiana where I am, I mean, they, like Joe Burrow will be a legend here for the rest of his life just for the Period. for the season he had um, at LSU. You know, he went with 15-0, won a national title. He won the Heisman Trophy. Um, I'm sure they'll have a statue built for him outside the stadium at some point. I mean, I just think that's how big he was. I mean, he's, a, he's just a hero here, and they just love him, and now he's going – you know, the Bengals picked him with the first uh, pick of the draft, and he's from Ohio originally. So, he's you know, it's a chance for him to go back home and, you know, try to lead that team to, you know, do the same thing he did uh, with LSU up there. And, I mean, that's obviously going to be a tough task because of yeah. who the Bengals have. But, um, you know, you look at him, and then um, 
Chase Young went second uh, from Ohio State. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, that, those guys at the top of the draft, and then the Saints picked the um, offensive lineman from Michigan. So um, I don't know if there were really any surprises in the draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just some of your local people in Mississippi, I mean, Cam Akers from Clinton High School was drafted by the Rams, which That's right. uh, he went in the second round. I think that was a really good pickup for them because they just – they just lost Todd Gurley, the running back. Right. And um, so I think Cam, I think it's a perfect situation for him. And a lot of times in these drafts, you don't really go to a team that where you fit. But I think that's just a perfect fit for him. And I think his career is going to be really, really special. And he's a guy that, I mean, he rushed for over 1,000 yards at Florida State and didn't even have a really good offensive line. So I just think he has a chance to be a really good player uh, with the Rams. That's good. And don't forget, the Cinderella story. I was so happy for him. Jeff Okuda, he was number three in the first round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was number three. Another Ohio State guy. I mean, so I mean, yeah. and Joe Burrow's career started at Ohio State. So you had top three guys all played together in college at, at one point. That is so. so I mean, that's that's, in, that's incredible. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them. Well, you know, you said there weren't any surprises in the draft, but yeah, there was some surprises. Um, <laughs> Not necessarily the players, but their <laughs> girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> how, how did you feel about, you know, some of the antics that were going on with some of the girlfriends? Um, CD girlfriend. Um, first of all, I, I like the fact that the draft was virtual this year, and you know, instead of you saying that, instead of us seeing the you know players sitting at a table or in the audience and they stand up and hug their parents, I mean, they were like in their homes or, and it right. was just. It was different to see that. It was, you know, they were with. They basically had to pick the people that were really close to them. You couldn't have all these people in there. But um, just going to the girlfriends, I think the the first one was, uh, yeah, I guess was City Lamb first. Yeah, yeah, he was the one. His, mm-hmm. his girlfriend tried to, you know, reach for his phone and. No, uh, no, no. She didn't try. She she took his phone. <laughs> she took his phone. I was trying to play it down a little bit. No. She tried to glance. <laughs> She's trying to check his messages for him. Just trying to try to help him respond to all the messages that his phone was coming up. Anyway, he he wasn't going for it. He took it back, and they ended up, you know, being um, all over the internet. Which I mean, this is the world we live in now. Everything's on the internet, and they sort of blew up, and you know, it sort of came out that she had dated Trey Young, who also who played basketball in Oklahoma and right. plays with the Hawks now. So. Um, yeah, I mean that was, I mean I think we all know that's sort of a no-no. You don't, you don't grab a guy's phone because you're gonna probably get embarrassed on national well, right. TV, and that's what happened. To her. Well, right. It looked like that wasn't her first time doing that though. She was too comfortable grabbing his phone. Right, done right. That before, so I think because of the situation, he you know like pulled it back or whatever. But she's done that before, so that wasn't the first time. Yeah, um, I think she had done it before. Yeah. Yeah, and. What about and I think when you're on TV, I think when you're on – that was a thing for these athletes. Like, when you're sitting there just sort of, you know, you're just watching TV and watching the draft. And I think sometimes you kind of forget that this isn't just a normal you sitting at home. This is – you know, those right. cameras are in there. And I think you just kind of forget. So I'm sure he would have – if he had thought about it, he probably would have reacted differently. I'm sure right. he didn't do that with the intention of it blowing up and going all over, you know, going viral. Oh, like it yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the other young man, uh, his what is Isaiah went to the Titans. Is it yeah, yeah, from there? Georgia, Isaiah Wilson. Yeah, yeah. And his I, I can't remember who drafted him, but yeah, he went to the Titans. His girlfriend okay. 
okay, you know, they called his name, and he puts his hat over his, you know, most of them put their hat over their head because they, you know, got emotional. But she, the dramatics with it, though, she slowly leaned in and just laid her head on his head like, you know, <laughs> babe, you did it. Okay, first of all, that was. That, that wasn't a baby you did. That was a baby we rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that okay. was. <laughs> yes, we did. And it was just like, but when, you know, the mom, I'm, I'm sure we couldn't hear it, but I'm assuming the mom was like, get up. And she didn't. And first of all, you don't mess with a black mama. Let's get that straight. <laughs> Do not mess with a black mama with a child, especially. Right. Um, I'm, she didn't get up. And I can tell the way that played out. They, you know, it's they're not too chummy with each other <laughs> because um, I, I just can't see it how she snatched her up. But go ahead. I think it was a – I was just sort of trying to look at body language of different parents and just the interaction that whole night. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a lot of that. I mean, I think – Yes. I mean, when you had your son and you raised him for 21, 20, you know, 20, 21 years and you've been there for him and then this girl um, is – sort of just probably been with them two years. You know, they're kind of grabbing some of the spotlight. I think I think most moms, especially black moms, they will have a problem with that. Yeah. Especially when especially when it's someone of the other race. I mean, I just think that's, you know, that's just. Yeah. I'm not saying I, it's right or wrong, but that's just how it is. No, that's how it's going to always be. <laughs> that's how it's going to be. And the thing yeah. about it is I don't have an issue with the girlfriends being there. Not a problem. However, that's their moment. And they took away from their moment. So when we, 10 years from now, when they mention the coronavirus virtual draft, they're going to mention Stephen Lamb, but they're going to bring up the fact that he, you know, snatched his phone out of his girl's hand. And Isaiah, you know, his mama snatched his girl up. You know, it's going to kind of take over the moment for them. And that's, I mean, if they're going to be there because they're not wise, you know, sit down. You know, class. Yeah, just sit down and let them have, have, yeah. let him have his moment. Him yeah, and his parents have, have his moment. moment. Yeah. yeah, lay on his head after, you know, but right. that was for TV. And I, I just I just had a problem with that. Then it was another play. I can't remember his name, but his his girl was dressed like she was going to the club. She had on a gold dress. Did yeah. You see yeah, I, I can't remember who, whose it was. I yeah, didn't remember and, that, yeah. But he, when they called his name, she looked to make sure she was in the right camera so she could kiss him. And I'm like, are y'all kidding? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just, I was kind of thrown off. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, have your girl there. But, you know, there needs to be some boundaries to some, yeah, you know, some yeah, extent. Yeah. I, that was not cool. But, you know, whatever. But congratulations to all the um, draftees, the young men that will be playing in the, um, in the NFL next season or whenever we start, <laughs> hopefully. Right. It won't right. be, you know, long. But, well, let's get right on into part three and four of The Last Dance, shall we? Yeah. All right. It seems the docuseries, it's like it's getting better every week. Part three and four was everything that I thought it would be. And Dennis Rodman. I mean, just imagine if Dennis had not made it to the NBA. Some things, it's like I can't imagine, you know, just his dominance in the game. We would have never known him. We would have never know his antics, you know, just not knowing him would have been like, I think we would have been cheated. So it's like I'm so glad he was – it was just destined and ordained for him 
to make it because, you know, he yeah. was living on the street. He was homeless. Right. So, but as I mentioned on the last show, I didn't want Dennis to come to the Bulls initially because I didn't trust him. However, right. I'm so thankful Jim Stack pulled the trigger on this because he was definitely the difference maker for the Bulls. He was an experienced winner, one of the greatest rebounders in the league, and he knew how to be a nuisance to the other team players. What, are, what, what was your take on the way – what was your takeaway from Dennis' journey with the Bulls? Um, I think one of the things about Dennis that they talked about that I really thought was interesting is when they um, – he was talking about – and obviously Dennis is known for his rebounding, but they had like a little segment where he was just talking about his rebounding and how much – science went into it. I mean, he was studying opponents and how their balls come off the rim. And, I mean, rebounding was really a science to him. It wasn't just – I mean, he was phenomenal at it, for, especially for his height. But, I mean, he just – it was something he put a lot of work into. It wasn't just – Right. It wasn't just athleticism. I mean, he it was some some brain power going into it, too. I mean, he was really – he just um, developed his craft and, and knew all that stuff. So, I mean, he was just a guy that they – definitely needed. They needed someone to just do the dirty work, and they found a guy in Dennis who didn't mind doing the dirty work. I mean, that's kind of who he was, and he didn't mind. He didn't even care about scoring. I mean, he he did score some, but that wasn't even important to him. He just wanted to get rebounds and give his team another opportunity to have another shot because you're getting a rebound. So um, that's just what he did, and they needed him. And, well, you mentioned the science and what he, you know, he was studying the players. Even Mike said he was one of the smartest players he ever played with. And, you know, like you said, I never knew that side. I just thought, you know, he getting we thought he could actually, Yeah, we thought he was just out jumping everybody and out hustling everybody. Yeah. That's kind of the perception we had. And as you saw, I mean, it was, you know, it was more to it than that. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. It was, just, it was like a really good part of the documentary. And they even played the song Party Man, the Prince song. <laughs> By Prince, sort of, I know. <laughs> it sort of goes exactly with who Dennis was. I mean, because Party Man was, you know, the video. He was, that's Prince who was he was. Dressed like, he was dressed like the Joker in, in that Party Man video. And that's who Dennis was. I mean, he was kind of, you know, the Joker, like the kind of the villain, but but a guy that you sort of liked, too. So that's who he was. That's, that's a very great example. That was a great analogy that you said. You know, he was. The vi- partly villain, but then it was, you know, because sometimes people are like, oh, Dennis, you know, <laughs> it's right. too much, but I like it. But He's one of those guys that you want to, if he's on your team, you love him, and if he's not on your team, you probably hate him. I mean, that's who Dennis did. was. And, I did. Yeah. That, that was, you, you just explained who I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is true. But, we, you know, we saw when Dennis started dating Madonna, he apparently came into his own. He saw he could still be productive on the court. He was a wild hair, and he needed to have that freedom to be him off the court. Now, we, you know, he was with the Spurs at that time. He was too much for the Spurs. The Spurs right. play fundamental ball, and they go home. They, right. You know, they've never been that team who wants to be in the spotlight or have a lot of attention. So, right. you know, him moving on to the bull. I mean, and think about it. Him coming from Detroit. Detroit is a big city, you know, right. very lively. I lived in Dallas for nine years, and, you know, I visited San Antonio. San Antonio is a is a home. I mean, it's a, a family-oriented town. Right, right. You know, they got the Spurs. They got, what is it, the SeaWorld. Um, it's really nothing. You know, it's not an exciting place. Not it's, probably the, it's probably the worst city for Dennis Rodman other than 
Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, yeah. San Antonio was probably the worst city he could have ended up in because it just, Absolutely. just wasn't a good fit for him. It, wasn't a good fit. it was not a good fit for him, period. And so, I, you know, he wouldn't have made – he would have been very – even though he can fly in and out, you know, to do what he needed to do, it just was not the place. So when he came to Chicago, that was a great fit for him. You know, Midwest, that's where, you know, that's what he played for in, in the first place. So that was a good right. fit for him. But what I love, Rod, I love the most about Dennis and Phil's relationship was that Phil saw Dennis because he used to be Dennis. Right. And I never knew Phil's dad was a pastor nor his journey to becoming one of the winningest coaches in NBA history. But he knew he had to allow Dennis to be Dennis if he wanted to get the most out of him. And Dennis mentioned when Scotty came back, he felt like the third wheel. I mean, it had – he had to – it had, it, I'm sorry – it's like it was just him and MJ. And right. so when Dennis came, when Scotty came back, he felt a little pushed out when he came back. Do you think if Scotty had not have come back right away, would, have had, would he continue to be the model citizen that MJ said he was? Um, if Scotty hadn't come back. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think all this stuff played out exactly like it needed to. I think Scotty mm-hmm. needed to come back. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, was, I mean, you know, Dennis had to take his little vacation and all that, but I think all that was just needed. I think they needed to do all that. I don't know if, I don't know if Scotty hadn't come back. I don't know if Dennis. He, he couldn't have gone that long. I don't know how long he could have held on to being that person that he was, and maybe he could have, but I don't know if he could have. What what I think, because when Mike said, well, you know, Scotty was, a, I mean, not Scotty. I keep mixing their names up. Dennis was the model citizen while Scotty was gone. You know, he, you know, he was, you know, come to work, do what he needs to do, you know, go home. I think he admired and respected MJ so much that, you know, it was like, you know, I got to, you know, this is a winning team and I got to keep this going. So I, I'm like, yeah, I think, hmm? go ahead. Yeah, I, I, was, I think it's like, it's like a parent and the oldest kid goes off to college and then the younger yeah. brother feels like, okay, I need to step up, step up now. So I think, I think Dennis did appreciate that role that he had to play and like being you know kind of responsible for something almost and i think he i think he embraced that role yeah um, and again i just don't i guess when, when when you see some of dennis's antics i hate to use that word but when you see that i mean you just almost think okay that's who he is though so i sort of think he needed to be that person too so yeah i agree i mean he needed to you know in order to just because you didn't really see, you know, you just saw the bad boy side of him with Detroit. We didn't right. see that other side of him again until he got with Madonna. And sometimes, you know, that's why, you know, parents, <laughs> watch who your uh, kids are dating. <laughs> because sometimes <laughs> it could be good or bad. And I think her helping him see who he really was was not a bad thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, but yeah. He needed to be who he was, and that probably was on the inside of him, but because he had to, you know, I have to be an NBA player, you know, I have to be a role model, this and that, and it probably was just too much for him. And she was like, no, you know, be you. I think you'll be more uh, responsible. You'll be more what they need in a player if you're able to be you. Yeah, I agree with that. you, You mentioned Vegas. That was so funny to me. 
you know. So, I don't remember that. I, I remember him going to Vegas, but I don't know. I mean, I remember hearing about his trip to Vegas, but mm-hmm. I don't think back then, I don't think I knew that he asked for a vacation. Like, I don't really remember that part of the story. I vaguely remember it. Yes, I think I, yeah. I vaguely remember it, but um, Phil knew he had to let him go. Right. And, you know, when Michael's like, 48 hours, he ain't coming back. He ain't coming back, yeah. But that's what made Phil such a great coach. I mean, I know he's a good coach as far as X and O's, but he knew how to manage all those different personalities. Even when he was in L.A., I mean, he did the same thing. I mean, he was dealing with, you know, the personalities in L.A., that's what make that's what separates Phil. I mean, he's just a he's a people person. I think he knew which buttons to push and what motivated people and Right. And that's why they were so successful. I and mean, I think he probably deserves a lot of the I mean he gets a lot of credit anyway, but I don't know, some people don't give him credit. They say, Oh, he had Jordan, he had Pippen, he had Kobe, you know, just whoever. No. But you still got you still gotta be able to juggle those personalities and that's what he did. Thank you. and and you know we, um, And everybody can't do that. Everybody can't do that. I mean, even with how he was able to convince Michael, we talked about that last week, Um, he convinced Michael that he needed to, you know, allow me to create a team. Don't let me just put it around you. You know, Doug Collins focused on Mike, but, you know, Phil focused on the team. And so when he – finally convinced him that, you know, we can really do more if you allow the team to grow. Right. That's when they click. Everything right. clicks for them. And you're absolutely right. So it's just, you know, I'm – I also like the fact that Mike and Scotty accepted Dennis for who he was. You know, they played against him, so they knew – they understood who he was. You know, like, you know, we know how, what he did to us in Detroit. He can right. do the same thing to these other people, but we got to let him do him. So that was a good thing. You know, it was like, I, I, it was kind of like a brotherhood to me. That's what it seemed like yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, like he was the like rebellious, yeah, he was the baby brother, the, the rebellious brother, but you still love him and you just know how to, they knew how to, know how to deal with him. <laughs> know how to deal with him, right, right. <laughs> That's true. So speaking of, um, Detroit. Let's get on to these bad boys. First of all, I hated them. I hated them. I mean, when I see any of them from the team, especially Bill Lambeer, I want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> Lambeer was the dirtiest of them all. Come on. Yeah, seriously. he was. He was. He was so dirty. And it was just like, I mean, back then, it was like the referees. I'm like, do y'all see them killing? I mean, it was just <laughs> crazy just to see them play. I used to get nervous when they would play the Bulls. And, you know, they. of course, back then, MJ was known as a scorer at that time, and they came up with the Jordan rule, which meant pretty much don't allow MJ to take flight. Do you think without the Jordan rules, the Bulls could have gotten past the Pistons? Uh, probably not. I mean, I think they had to. Uh, oh, you saying without it? Yeah, without it. Without the rule. So I think they, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was saying because they really was like trying to make sure he didn't score, you know, because he was the big, he was the top scorer on the on the team. Right. So right. Yeah, think- I think they, I think they had to. Um, you had to stop Jordan somehow. I think they did that and just was hoping that 
okay, we're not going to let any of the other guys beat us. And uh, it ended up not, not working. But uh, I think I think that was our best chance to win. I think Detroit knew that, and they, they tried it, and, you know, it worked, and then it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it didn't work, I guess, when it came to them. You know, first of all, I thank God that they made Michael tough. They made the Bulls tough. Yeah, because they made them, yeah. They, they made them tough. And even, I believe, when I say, and you saw my, I mean, Lord, you saw it, um, Rod, they was kicking his butt for they real, were, for yeah. real. So I'm thinking, yeah. you know, remember, you know, they talked about the rivalry on, on the first part with his brothers, you know, he right. was playing, you know, so I'm like, I wonder if they was kicking his butt when he was a kid then, you know, he was the youngest. No, he's the middle child, right? He's the middle boy. Mike is. Yeah. And, you know, but they were, you know, like probably double teaming him then. So with that plus, you know, the crap that the Pistons was doing to him, you know, his psyche was like, I can't give up. And all, right. you know, that's why some, that's why I call the league soft now because some of the stuff that they were doing to him, he kept playing. Right. And, I I think, think, and they needed that. I mean, Chicago needed that to get to where they yeah. were because, if they had cruised past Detroit without all that stuff, I don't know if I mean they Michael wouldn't have, wouldn't have got stronger, and they, yeah. they wouldn't have got Scotty wouldn't have been as tough, and so they That's they right. needed to go through that to to get them to where they. You know, I think it made them tough, not only physically but mentally as well, and yeah, they they mm-hmm. needed they definitely needed it. They needed it bad, and you know we saw them in the you know in the gym working out, and that was their focus. And I heard an interview of Isaiah the other day. He was like, I mean. That's what athletes are supposed to do anyway. They're supposed to be <laughs> working out. Right, and, yeah. And, you know, and I get what he's saying. I'm sure they were doing that, but not to the degree that they were doing, you right. know, to that point where it was like, this is my focus. I got to get myself. Because they were too small. Right. And, you know, it was just, it was amazing to see when we finally swept them. Oh, God. It was the sweetest yeah. thing I had ever tasted at that time. <laughs> Do you understand yeah. me? Yeah, and the league was just so – that's how the league was back then. I mean, it wasn't – I mean, players sort of – you know, everybody sort of stayed where they were, and you just knew, like Detroit knew they had to go through Boston. And it, it, yep. it took them a while. They finally got through Boston. They finally got through Boston. And then yep. Chicago knew they had to go through Detroit. I mean, it's just kind of the way the league was back then. And you just kind of kept trying until you, until you did until it. You and, did eventually, it. And, it, and eventually you would probably do it. So, I mean, that's just – yeah, that's how it was. And, you know, on that same interview, Isaiah, he was like, you know, he, he said pretty much the same thing. You said, I mean, we had to get through Boston. And that, you know, of course, and I'm, I'm going to get to that next. And he was like, and yeah, they had to get through us. But at that point, we were older. And, right. you know, it was just their time. But right. the hand, handshake gate, this is, that's where it brings <laughs> me now. Handshake yeah. gate. As we know, after the Bulls swept the Pistons, the Pistons walked off the court without shaking the Bulls' hands. And MJ discussed this as well as Isaiah. What were your What was your take from both of their feelings on the hand, on handshake gate? I think when I was a, going back to when I was a kid, you know, when I was watching it when it when it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And even today, like sometimes I see players walk off without shaking hands. Like it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers most people. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like they I say, okay, they, they lost, they're hurting, and they just get caught up in it and just walk out. So it doesn't really bother me. And it didn't even bother me. Even going back and watching it, it doesn't bother me. But 
I think there was some – I mean, obviously there was some bitterness between the two teams. And uh, and I even remember – and I actually went back and looked up to make sure that I was remembering this right. But, like, after game three, Jordan made a comment about how the Pistons were bad for basketball. And I think the Pistons, like, were really, like, just pissed off about that. And mm-hmm. so I think that – and they didn't bring that up in the docu in the docuseries, but – I just think there was just so, so much bad blood, and they just like, okay, they beat us, we we out of here. And I mean, looking back on, I mean, it wasn't the right thing to do, and if they could do it again, I'm sure they wouldn't. But right, uh, I just think I think in the heat of battle, sometimes you just that's just sort of how you act. So again, it didn't it didn't bother me as much uh, then or now. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it had some repercussions because I mean, it led to some other things, and it led to some bitterness still, and it's. Right. It's thirty years later. It's thirty years later, and you can tell that, like it's Michael still, Jordan, still is. It's still like, and obviously Horace Grant. You know what he said. So, um, <laughs> right. You can't say that. On I can't say that. On, right. I can't say that. But uh, unless you got the unless you got the button, you can hit. I can tell you yeah. when to hit the button, and I'll say it. But yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, oh, these guys are like, there's still like some animosity about it. I think, and um, which is. So it was amazing to me because even when it happened, I mean, I said, okay, it's just a game. and it was, You just kind of think that stuff will blow over eventually, but clearly it hasn't. So. But I, I guess, you know, Mike made a, a very valid point, and I, and I get what you're saying. You would think it has blown over. You know, we've grown now, and, you know, they're yeah. for real grown. They, you know, are almost in their 60s, right. summer in their 60s. they grown and they got money. Right. <laughs> and to me, that does Okay. <laughs> like, they got for real money. But, right, so – let it go. Like. But Mike made a valid point when he said, okay, yeah, you know, especially that last time they lost when they should have won when Scotty was having the migraine and stuff. Right, right. They, won. they, they possibly could have got past them that time. Right. Um, and, I'm, and I'm like you, I'm glad they didn't because they needed to get more tougher mentally right. and physically. But Mike said, it hurt me. That was, I was so hurt. But I still went and shook the hand. It was hurtful that we had lost that game because we should have won that right. series. But I still went and shook their hand. And then Isaiah mentioned the fact, you know, like he said, you know, Boston didn't shake our hand. And right. which is true. But did you see um, the the video they showed when it was like Isaiah went and ran up to Kevin McHale. McHale, yeah. yeah. He's like, you know, like, I guess try to talk to him or whatever, and Kevin was like, man, whatever, pretty much. He was kind of blowing right. him off. But you right. saw when he put his hand out and the shake, it was just like a, you know, like he he hit his hand. Isaiah hit right. his hand like, you know, dang, you could at least shake my hand. Right. So he seemed to have had an issue with it too, but he just didn't bring it up. So, you know, of course, you know, if people who don't like Mike, they're saying he's a whiner, whatever. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you can see it as that, but apparently that's something that really bothered him. And yeah. so, um, but it, it is what it is. I, I can't believe, like you said, that they're still upset about this handshake. Yeah. And I, I think if, if Isaiah had made the dream team, I think they probably could have squashed it. Mm, you're when, right. When he, did, when he didn't make the Olympic team, and obviously some people say that Jordan didn't want him on the team, and um, I think. That's why Isaiah hadn't got over it, and I, I can oh, I get that I get I that part of it too. <laughs> yeah, Cause, cause I mean I mean there were people that said that yeah, and they were saying that you know, 
and there were some people that even say that Mike said, you know, I'm not going to be on the team if Isaiah's on it. And then, I mean, they've even said that Magic, and Magic and Isaiah, they've since squashed their little uh, beef about that same thing. Because I don't think I, I don't think Magic really like stuck up for Isaiah, who was, you know, his best friend at the time, right, and he didn't right. he didn't try to fight for him to get on the team. And so I understand why. I mean, Isaiah was one of the best players in the league at the time, and he probably deserved a spot on that team over John Stockton. He did. Somebody, yeah, so. He, he did, and I, I agree yeah. with that. He did. I mean, one thing I, you know, yeah, although I hated Detroit Pistons as a whole, Isaiah was one of the coldest players. That he was cold. Played. He was. He, he was. was cold. And, you know, I, I hate, you know, sometimes, you know, but, I mean, Michael had a lot of clout. Yeah, he, he did. I mean, he was he was the face of the league. So yeah, he was the face of the league, and yeah. you know, and that's what Isaiah said on the interview. I'm gonna think. I don't know if you've seen it. It was him, J. Rose. Oh, the one with him and Jalen. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was one. a good yeah. interview. It was like 20. Yeah, it was really good. It was really and there's good actually this. There's this. Um, I think this was. I can't remember what year. The 50 greatest players. The NBA did that. Maybe 95, 96. But that, whatever. Mm-hmm. They had like a photo shoot for it, and in the photo shoot. They decided to do like a separate one of all the like sure the did. legends from from the eighties and nineties, and they had mm-hmm. it was like Dr. J, Barkley, and Moses Malone from the Sixers. It was Dr. and Malone from the Jazz, Mikael and Bird from the Celtics, Scotty and and uh, Michael from from the Bulls, uh, mm-hmm. Magic Worthy and Kareem from the Lakers. And anyway, in the picture, Isaiah like looked around and he was like, "Oh, I ain't got no teammates here." So that shows you how good he was. I mean, he yeah. he didn't have any of those. Those great. I mean, he had some good players around him, but he didn't have any of those superstars like those other guys. And uh, so, I do think Isaiah. I mean, you know, I think he's he probably doesn't get talked about enough because he was he was really good. There was one game he he scored the twenty four points in one quarter with the hurt leg. I mean, he was he was a really good player. Yeah. I mean, I I I was I was not you know impressed at that time. (laughs) Right, but right. I, you know, but I knew. I'm like, girl, you got. I mean, if you if you love basketball like you say you do, you know that was you know that was pretty dope. Twenty four points. Right. One. Yeah, I mean, come on. He 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 was that guy. He was that guy. Um, yeah. But you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Still a little bad blood between me and them. But before we move on from this, I want to say John Paxton was one of the coldest three point shooters ever. It and was. <laughs> for the Bulls, Bulls came when MJ trusted Paxton to shoot in, in that series. You know, Mike was always yeah. used to being the closer or Mr. Clutch and having to step away and allow someone else a chance to shine. I'm sure that was hard for him. Right. Plus, the Pistons were expecting the ball to go to MJ, and the rest is history. I mean, right. when, did you, when did you see MJ grow up as a player? Uh, I think. Well, grow as a player. I think that was a big, that was a big moment for him. And you know, he talked about yeah. Paxton hitting that very first shot. I mean, he, he threw it over to Paxton. Paxton hit. If Paxton doesn't make that shot, I don't even know if Jordan has that confidence in him anymore. Oh yeah, you know, it's been over. <laughs> right, just, that game could turn out differently. And uh, and it, you know, throughout his career, I mean, you just saw that Jordan started believing in his teammates more. I mean, he yeah, you know, through Steve Kerr hit the shot. I mean, so uh, he started counting on guys like Tony Kukoc. So I mean, I mean, that made him better. I mean, just. Whenever I mean your team and you don't have to carry the load and you start trusting the other guys, I think it obviously makes the teams better and um, that's, that's what he did. And, and yeah. So yeah, it was it was just interesting to see how 
he grew as a player and like you said, he started trust when he started trusting his teammates, that's when things just really kinda of turned around for the Bulls yeah. and, and as well as himself because it was like now the pressure is kinda of off me. Even though it was like we still wanted to make sure, you know, Mike was like there. <laughs> right. You know, even had, had, go ahead. Yeah, you know, him him having to adjust to the the triangle offense. I mean, they they actually talked about that and yeah, sort of yeah. went into some of the details of the offense. But um, just for Jordan to have to accept that and realize that it wasn't going to be, you know, when just, you know, I shoot, I shoot, I shoot. He had to start counting the players. And, you know, he didn't really love that idea at first, but, you know, he adapted to it and really big difference for that team. One more question. Do you think – the Bulls would have won a ring with Collins still coaching. I was gonna mention that earlier when we were talking about Phil. I don't, I don't know because I don't know if I think Bill Collins would have had to adjust his his, his strategy. And, yeah, and I don't know if he would have done that because I don't think Michael could have got past the Pistons by himself. I mean, he yeah. was gonna have to learn to rely on his teammates, and you know, Doug Collins was he was all about Michael Jordan. And, yeah. Um, I mean. And I'm not saying he wouldn't have ever won, but I don't know if they would have had that dynasty. I just don't know if it would have worked out like that. They may would have gotten one or two maybe, but but again, but Michael may have changed his whole – after you keep trying and trying and trying, it doesn't work, maybe Michael would have made the adjustments too. So, I mean, you just, you just never know how that stuff's going to play out. And, you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, he was – he did a lot. Under you know Doug Collins, he was yeah. the Defensive Player of the Year. He was an All Star. Right. He was a Slam Dunk Contest winner. You know he was a top scorer. So I mean he he did a lot of things under Doug. But I, I'm like you, if they may not have, I don't know. I don't know if they would have had the dynasty that they have today. If like you said, if Collins had um, changed his coaching style, and Mike was, I think was immature then he wanted you know it was like just give me the ball you know right. I, I know what to do just give me the ball even when they was like right. you know last what part two last week when they were um when they you know they was like limiting his play because of his you know when he hurt his leg right 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 and he was so angry and mad about it but you know it was I'm glad they did it because it was just like we understand you feel like you better, you know, it's your leg, your ankle or whatever, but we, you know, we have an investment in you and we have to right. protect it. So, right. you know, yeah, I'm I, I'm like you. I don't think if he hadn't changed his coaching style, maybe not. They probably wouldn't have. But who knows? I'm glad it, it never happened. So <laughs> now, I did see that the Bulls, this is off the top a little bit, but they did hire a new GM. The other yes. day, and it's a black guy, which is the first black pretty, pretty, yeah, Mark <laughs> Eversley. So, uh, and that's a guy that like worked his way through the ranks. Um, he used to work at like the Nike with Nike or something doing yes. something. He just sort of worked, and uh, so anyway, I just kind of started interesting that that happened during you know all this stuff going on. I know, so. I'm so excited about that, and yeah. um, you never know, we may end up getting a black coach, you know, behind this. Right, and it's not right. about the color. I just want to win. I'm not. You know, but the I'm glad the diversity is becoming, you know, coming into the front office. Right. You know, right. times have changed, and it's like, you know, it, it's some very smart um, people of color that can do that job. 
And right, so right. I'm just glad that he got the opportunity. So I was excited. I actually, I can't think of his name right now. And Mark I'm so Everson. sorry about that. Thank you. Yeah. I posted yeah. it in, um, on She Say, She Say Sports on Facebook. But yeah, yeah. So I'm, it's always I'm good when we get those opportunities, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes. I was watching the NFL, even like the NFL draft last week. Normally we don't really get a chance to see who the coach and the GMs are. I mean, you might, they might show them, they show them in the room, but now you saw them like in their homes and, I mean, there weren't a lot of black people making those decisions. It's only like no. four black coaches and even the GMs. I mean, it's, I know the Dolphins have one. But, but you got a chance to, like, see the coach and the GM both in their respective homes on the split screen. And I was like, man, it's, you know, the NFL is 70% black, but yeah, we're not the, I, one, we're not the ones who are making the decisions. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that's I, still a lot of work to do. It's a lot of work to do. I actually, um, I don't know, if you, you, Jamie and Spencer, he used to play NFL. He was with Tampa Bay, also um, Philadelphia. Um, we actually did an interview a few months ago. And we talked about the Rooney Rule. And it's okay. like, you know, it's 2020 now. It's right. time to make some decisions, you know, of letting people of color in right. in those positions. I mean, it's like, right. I'm like you, it's 70%. The NFL is 70% African-American. And right. and I, I asked him, you know, because he played for – uh, I cannot. Um, why can I remember these coaches' names? Oh my God! Used to Tony Dungy. He played for Tony at Tampa, and he played for. I love him too. Um, white guy. He had on the um, Hawaiian shirt at the NFL draft. <laughs> what is his name? Oh, Andy Reid. Yeah, Andy. Andy so he played yeah, for yeah. both of them. Okay. He was, he was excited for Andy. You know, of course, winning um, the. Um, the Super Bowl this year, but he said he didn't realize it was a different because, you know, growing up, even in, you know, from junior high on up to, of course, he played for Notre Dame. So he okay. never had a black coach until right. Dungy. So he was right. like, he didn't even realize it was any different. And he said it was not necessarily different, but it was just the fact that it was like somebody looked like me, right. you know, making the plays and so right. that was he said that was pretty exciting for him and both yeah, of them are yeah. great coaches I, I love Andy right. Reid I really really you know I think he's really yeah. cool yeah. so but even on even on the draft like when you're looking at the looking at in their homes I mean like like they got their kids they're hanging around and getting they're getting to be a part of all that stuff and even that for those kids for those coaches like that's kind of getting your foot in the door and we Absolutely. just don't have that kind of exposure because we don't get to be around it so I mean it's we don't I mean, there's a lot of levels to why those numbers are so bad. And um, we got to get our foot in the door somehow. And until yeah. we do, the numbers are going to continue to be bad. So. I agree. I agree. Well, Rod, I'm, thank you so much again for joining me today. Um, let the listeners know how they can follow you. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Rod Walker Nola. And on Instagram, it's rwalker1906. Rod Walker. And Facebook oh, okay. is just it's just Rod Walker. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to see the uh, – I haven't seen any promos for next week, but I did see people I – mean, is Kobe a part of the next episode? Or, I, don't remember, I don't remember seeing Kobe. Um, I didn't. I thought I saw like a something on the Internet maybe just saying like Kobe and they were talking about it. So I don't know if they're talking to him some – they got some old footage of him or what. But That would uh, be really good. I, yeah, I would, would love yeah. to see that if so. I'm just yeah. excited. I'm ready for next week. I mean, it's yeah. well Sunday rather, and yeah. I'm just um, 
some friends was a little perturbed with me because they had a Zoom. It's, I'm like, oh, my God, why am I so popular? <laughs> I've been to, I was at a Zoom happy hour Friday. I was at a Zoom baby shower, a Zoom surprise party, and then it was another Zoom party Sunday. But I had, I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make that. And they was like, I yeah. know because Michael, so they called me 20 right. minutes, um, text me 20 minutes before it started. And they was like, just jump on real quick. No. I was like, I, <laughs> right. I mean, right. I, I was like, I can't because right. I'm not going to play any, I don't want to miss the first part of it at all. I, right. I was like, I got to right. do a show on this and I need to concentrate. So, right. yeah, so. I mean, I'll do the Zoom parties, people, but it can't be on the Sunday. <laughs> from 8 to 10, right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I think eventually they are going to talk about some of Michael's vices, like they're going to get into the gambling and th- something I've kind of heard. Too. that. Yeah, I mean, so I think they are going to try to be a little transparent on some of that stuff. They need to be because, my, that, I mean, he was a mess with that. He, he was yeah. a, a hot mess. And right. I really, you know, sometimes, you know, people were saying that his dad got killed because, right. uh, you know, dealing with his gambling. And I don't know if that was for sure. I don't know. But, yeah, that was that's definitely, that was a huge vice That's a big part of, yeah, it was a big part of his story. So, yeah. It's a big part of his story, period. Yeah. So, but, okay. And you can wait, right. me. wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you about to hang up to my all right. Bye. <laughs> I got I got to send you something also after um, a, a video real quick. It's like a three-minute video. Let me know what you think. Um, okay. It's comedian Marvin um, Hunter. Do you know him? Are you familiar mm, with him? I don't know the name. Uh, I may not see him. But. He's from Vicksburg, Mississippi, but he's a, he lives in Atlanta, but he is hilarious. Comedian Marvin Hunter, and he okay. did a video today regarding who's the GOAT, and I just want you to check it out. Um, but anyway, okay. I had to say no. you can reach me on Facebook at She Say She Say Sports, on Instagram She Say She Say Sports twenty three, and that's all. I sh- that's our show for today. I'll see you guys on the radio, and thank you for listening to She Say She Say Sports. Okay. All right. All right. That was good. That was much better <laughs> than, <laughs> than the other day. Cause the we other one bad. bad. It just was. It was just forced. It wasn't bad, I didn't think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But this was more yeah. fun because it was yeah, yeah. the first time going over it. So right. that was cool. Right. All right, Boo. Well, All right. I'll, I'll talk to you. to you. Thank you so okay. much. All right. Bye. All right. No problem. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.